So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about some things that I just want to tell you ahead of time. I don't assume that you haven't thought of these or you wouldn't have thought of these. The reason why I'm going to go over these things is because I wouldn't have thought of them had I not had a lot of conversations with a lot of people over the last 13 months. And um, the, my role and my experience has allowed me to talk to a lot of people in a lot of places. And so I've compiled some thoughts and I want to just um, speak them to you because you may have thought of some of them, you may not have thought of some of them. We all see and think and leave through our experiences and our personality. And so we, we want to be leaders who, who lead out of more than just our experience and personality. So I want to talk about some transition. I was going to jump right into um, what we're going to major on next group year, starting in September through next summer. But as I was talking to people, again, who gave me perspective and said, Terry, you're jumping the gun. Um, don't transition. Not everybody's transition. Slow down. And so I said, good word. So we're going to slow down. We're going to talk about transition tonight. At the very end, I'll talk about our, our emphasis next year. And one of the things I've seen this year, I've mentioned it on Sundays a couple of times, is that and I've seen this in many ways from, from talking to... Brett, are you here? Brett? Uh, where's Brett? I don't, I don't know if he's here. There you No, the, um, there's one Brett. Where's the other Brett? Sorry, Brett and Brett. Um, so I was talking to Brett's baseball team and, um, a couple, about a month ago, and, and, I was, and I was looking in their eyes. They had masks on still. It's the Trinity. And I was wondering, what am I seeing? Because I'm seeing this several times. And I was, I was seeing um, don't hope. And I saw it last fall. I've seen it with um, senior leaders in the state. I've seen it over and over in the eyes of people. And, it, and it's this don't hope. Or if you do hope, hope in government, hope in science. But Scripture says hurt, but you must hope in Christ. So the Psalms and other places in Scripture validate the human cry of despair, the dark night of the soul. Scripture has plenty of lament, the cry of sorrow over our sin and the impact of the world's sin on our lives. The Bible tells us that God knows and affirms our sorrow, that feeling hopeless is normal at times, but the gospel tells us that although sorrow is normal, Paul said, meanwhile we groan, hope is necessary, longing to be clothed in our eternal home. And so hurting, struggling is, is, is okay, hope is absolutely necessary. And we've all learned in some new ways to lead during times of uncertainty. All times are, of course, uncertain for humans, but last year was clearly unusual in our own lives and in U.S. history. It's not the most uncertain time in U.S. or world history. There was the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, the 1918 flu, Pearl Harbor, 9-11. It wasn't the most uncertain of years historically, but it definitely made it into the record books. There's no question about it. And for many people personally, it was their most uncertain time of their lives. And for many people, that uncertainty remains. For some people, the uncertainty has faded to kind of background noise. For some people, the uncertainty still is pretty high. So how do you feel about how you led? How do you feel about how you led yourself, those who work for you, your family, your group? What did you learn? What do you wish you could have a do-over on? Are you tired? Do you feel like you did well or not so well? Are you confused or frustrated? Did your faith grow or shrink? And just because there were unusual events happening to all of us, the normal stuff, 
the non-COVID year stuff didn't stop, did it? Cultural and COVID challenges were stacked on top of the stuff that happens regularly. People didn't stop having cancer at River. People didn't stop having relational troubles. People didn't stop having anxiety or addictions. So all the normal stuff was still there. It was just COVID and, and all the racial challenges and cultural challenges were stacked on top. Of course, there were many COVID pluses as well. In my family, COVID plus has become sort of an idiom. Idiom, Crystal said the other day. COVID plus dad, she was talking about something that happened. I mean, I walked in Walmart last summer. There's no bikes or board games to be found. That was cool. People were playing outside with kids. I drive through neighborhoods. It looked like 1974 around town. I mean, some of that would be bad to go back to 74, but, but some of that is really good. I mean, the, the, the city shut down in 1974 at nighttime and on weekends. No travel for a year. For some people, that was a big negative. For some people, huge plus. Some of you didn't have to do business travel. So it's not all been bad, not by a long shot, but it's been a challenge for leaders at all levels, from the, from the governor down to school teachers and group leaders. And now people are transitioning to whatever the next new normal will look like. And people are transitioning in different ways at different paces. And many people have found group to be a lifeline this past year. I've seen that in, in some of my group members. Some have checked out. And then there's people in between. So I want to talk about just, I'm going to throw out a couple of just some words or phrases that describe some of the things I've heard from people that are a part of um, transitioning. <clears throat> and you may think of things that are in addition to this, and that's fine. My goal is not to be exhaustive. My goal is just to get you thinking about what transition looks like as you lead, not just yourself, but realizing that, that everybody doesn't see it like you do because everybody's experience is not your experience. So first word, celebrate. So you, it's important to point out the positive to those you lead and to yourself and to realize it's not naive, it's not insensitive, it's biblical. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Rejoice in the Lord always. There was that funny word in the Old Testament, Ebenezer and Samuel, where they had just had this victory over their enemies. And, and they said, put up this stone of remembering Ebenezer. And Ebenezer means God has helped us thus far. <laughs> so, so far he's helped us. And we're really hoping and banking on him continuing to help us. So there was this stone they set up and they could walk by and see it. I was, I was talking, I met twice with a man the last month who has maybe the most miserable life story of anybody I've ever met. And he was so tuned into all that he'd lost and all that was dark in his life that he was on the cusp of losing whatever good there was left. And since we've talked, he's, he's in danger of losing his marriage, he's lost his job, and it's because the dark side was completely taken over his life. And I said, that's, that's real, that's valid. You've got your hand on the death dial and death dial's all around you, but you've taken your hand off the life dial. You've got to put your hand on that life dial. So what do you have to celebrate personally? What does your group have to celebrate? For some people, this comes more naturally. Other people need to be more intentional about it. So it's important to talk about things to celebrate in your group. Our culture tends to say you cannot celebrate when anyone is suffering anywhere. The Bible doesn't agree with that. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, and often that's happening at the same time. I mean, when has there been a time in our church when someone's not mourning and someone's not rejoicing? 
I mean, I've, I've been to funerals and the birth of children in the same week. So if we don't learn to celebrate when there's suffering, when are we ever going to celebrate? And if we don't celebrate, then we're going to magnify suffering and diminish hope. We're also going to fail to see what God might be up to in the midst of suffering. One of my favorite stories is when Corey Ten Boom's sister Betsy urged her to thank God for the bedbugs. You remember that story? And they were adding misery to their misery in this Nazi death camp. Only later they realized the Nazi guards would not enter their barracks because of the bedbugs, allowing them to have community and fellowship and Bible study. So there's power and gratitude to shape us, but it also, without gratitude, we're going to miss the things that God is doing. Second word is, is rest, and the phrase is rest in the Lord. And the, the full phrase is rest in the Lord doesn't mean check out. There have been plenty of, of down, there's been plenty of downtime for people, probably more downtime for some people than any year before, but downtime is not always restful, especially some of the downtime we've had. This summer is a great time to practice active, engaged rest. So personally, what does it look like for you to lead your group and yourself towards rest? Rest doesn't equal checking out of community. It doesn't equal checking, checking out of walking with God, the pursuit of holiness, growth, and Christ-likeness. So there's this verse. I want you to think about it with me. Help me figure it out. It's from Hebrews. Therefore, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter his rest. Make every effort to enter rest. What an amazing turn of a phrase. So he's obviously not talking about working for salvation. He's talking about working out salvation. But what does it look like practically to make every effort to enter rest? What effort do we exert to rest? So you need rest. You need change this summer. Your group does as well. But what does it mean to, to exert effort to enter the rest of Christ? I know for a fact it doesn't mean checking out of walking with God are key impactful relationships. Often your group members will think, I've been busy, I need rest. And that will translate into no church, no group, no fellowship. That's not biblical rest, that's retreat from the battle. The problem is the battle will chase you right into your hole and overcome you and crush you. So figure out for yourself, help your group think about rest, what rest in the Lord actually looks like. Do the work to enter the rest. Third, is one word would be forgive, one word would be be okay with differences, another phrase maybe move on, you pick it. But there have been a lot of people who have been hurt by others this year, obviously. And sometimes it's, it's because of the failure to distinguish between people and their ideas. So if Caden says, hey Terry, I found out rocks fall up, I'll go, no, they fall down. And he could come away and go, well, you think I'm evil or stupid or bad. No, I just think rocks fall down. And so when, when, when we tie things we think to who we are, that, that becomes a problem. Sometimes it's personal preferences. I like vanilla best. You fool. It's a scientific fact that chocolate is best. Sometimes there's basic differences on matters of real dispute. And if you think you're differently than me, then clearly you're a fool or you're evil. And then there are just issues that people are, feel so strongly about that it breaks relationships. And I've seen it happen this year. You do this or you don't do that you think this or don't think that, we can have no relationship. And so for many people, and some of you, maybe this is the first time you're hearing this, some of you got, yeah, I know, I'm living this, Terry. Trust is gone, and it might take a long time to get it back. 
How do you help people get through it? How do you help people think about it? Last week, I had this great talk with my middle daughter, Corey, about how sometimes there's going to be a break in fellowship between believers. We talked about Paul and Peter and Paul and Barnabas. There's no break between me and Corey, by the way, but we did have to listen closely to each other sitting at our kitchen table because we're thinking differently about some things. And we came away closer, but it doesn't always happen that way. I know of people who have had conversations and come away, and they're disconnected. Sometimes it just takes time in the Holy Spirit. There is clearly in Scripture a mandate for maintaining clear relationships, but there's also no no clock or calendar on what that looks like. So help group members be okay, not happy about, but okay with letting time in the Holy Spirit do the work of maybe some things that have transpired this year. Sometimes a relationship may never be the same, and you may need to help them grieve and realize you can't fix it. Sometimes you just can't fix it. Sometimes you can do all you can do, and you can't fix it. Maybe you just need to help normalize what feels very abnormal to them. But Terry, how could they think so differently? How could they act so differently? How could they be so unkind? Can I trust anyone again? And when trust is high, there's lots of margin for error. When trust is low, the closer perfection is demanded. Who can live that? So the moral of the story is build trust because perfection is impossible. So you want high trust, so there's more margin. And then be patient when trust has gotten low. It just sometimes takes time. And then sometimes trust is not going to be rebuilt. Be okay with, at least for now, letting that be the case without bitterness or malice. Okay, next. Be the church. That's the phrase. Be the church. We are not policy experts. We are not public health experts. We are not a counseling center. We care about public policy, we care about public health, and we care about mental health. But we can't chase those things of the church. We have to do what God's called us to do. There are people God's called to be policy people and to be public health people and to be counselors. We're the one place in the world, the one place, who's called to be a gospel outpost. We need to be good at that. There is no Bible 2.0. There's not going to be a, a, a new system come out. We're called to be Christ in culture, not Christ out of culture, not Christ submerged under culture, but Christ in but not of culture. And so we need to be aware. Obviously, we can have our opinions, but we need to be good and getting better at knowing and living the Bible. And I have become even more unapologetic than ever before that the church is to study, believe, and live the Bible in community. And no, I'm not naive. No, I'm not blind, but I am resolute. I, I've, I've seen it with my own eyes this year more than ever before as I've talked to people, believers and non-believers alike, that that guy's better at public policy than me, that guy's better at public health than me, and I got the gospel, and I watched light come into rooms. This has been the case historically. Public health changed. Hospitals around the world came as a result of people with a heart for the gospel. Public policy changed from Wilberforce ending slavery in in the UK, or Colson doing prison reform, they were driven by the gospel. And people who chase culture to change it end up being changed by culture. People who have chased Christ historically end up changing culture. I'm I'm just convinced of that. Because you're not going to change what you're addicted to. 
And if we're addicted to culture, what it thinks about us, we can't change it. We can't be addicted to the news, the infinite number of opinions out there. You don't have to read every book, every blog, be up to date with every fad, trend, word, and acronym. Good luck with that. It's okay to be out of it just a little bit. Because everyone's out of it to a degree. Culture just changes too fast. But the more biblically literate and Christ-like you become, the more in tune you're going to be with whatever form culture takes. Say, but Terry, I'm just not a biblical expert. That's okay. I'm telling you, take three or four or five go-to verses, learn them, live them, and you're far ahead of most people. I was talking this morning about my friend Junior Colors. He didn't talk theology. He had the corniest sayings, and he said them over and over. He had like a couple of verses that he used all the time, and he shaped us because he pursued Christ and loved people. If you had asked Junior what was going on in the world, he probably wouldn't know. But he was pretty busy changing the world. And so you and I should, as appropriate, deal with cultural and personal issues in group. But I'm asking you, major on the Word of God. What possible hope is there to understand and impact culture apart from the Word of God? What answers do we have for personal issues apart from the Word of God? We are the outpost, we're the fob, the forward operating base for the gospel. And our ministry includes Youth Horizons and Christian Challenge and youth group, worship, training, focus, tons of individual ministries that God calls people to. But we can't stray from our core mission. There are a lot of good things we could do, but there's one essential thing we must do. We have to be the church. We have to train and send for the Great Commission. And mission drift is when an organization leaves their essential purpose for important but non-essential things. We have to resist mission drift. Five, we leak hope. So try to stop the leaks where you can, but above all, demonstrate, communicate, celebrate the plain old vital necessity of walking with Jesus. Years like last year reveal more problems than they have created. And if it reveals holes in your life approach... Well, then stop the leak. If it revealed your need for Jesus, then that's not a problem. That's just a reality that maybe you weren't seeing before. And point that out to people you lead. Talk cultural issues when appropriate. But as you can, take the conversation to the gospel. Talk personal issues as appropriate, but move it to gospel hope. And I don't mean bash people with Bible verses. Clearly you know that's not what I mean. But my conversations with people low on hope this year has reminded me of the power of the gospel to bring hope. Ephesians 5.18, Paul said, Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which is just messed up lives. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's not a verse about not drinking. The not drinking is an illustration of what he's saying. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, which means you're under the control of the influence of. Instead, live under the control of the influence of the Spirit. And what does it look like? Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. And that doesn't mean that you walk around just telling Bible verse people all the time. But it is saying that as you, if, as you live under the control of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's not people's problems and cultural problems that dictate the course of your conversations and the direction of your heart. As important as those are, as difficult as, they, as those are, we have to center, circle back around to gospel hope. You don't have to feel especially hopeful or feel especially encouraged at the moment to speak the reality of hope. 
This morning I talked about a conversation I had with a friend this week. I wasn't feeling particularly hopeful when we started. By the time we got done, I was feeling pretty hopeful. Philemon 1.9 says, I pray you be active in sharing your faith so you'll have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. It's not just telling the gospel to non-believers that, that brings about this understanding of what we have in Christ. It's telling the gospel even to your brothers and sisters. It doesn't really matter who you're telling it to. Tell it to yourself. Act, share your faith with yourself. And then you'll have this fuller understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. People are going to say, well, you're naive. Okay. You're out of touch. Okay. You're foolish. Okay. Let's center on the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. 